0: Right now
1: on Matter of Fact, a veteran returns to his home in Big Sky Country.
0: This is God's country for me. You can't get any better. Bringing with him the burdens of war. We're supposed to be strong, reaching out, saying something's wrong and I need help wasn't in the
1: cards. How a new crisis lifeline could prevent the unthinkable.
0: Veterans and active military die by suicide at a rate of about 22 a day.
1: Plus, medical schools are wondering
2: how they'll train future OBGYNs in states where abortion is banned. Whether it's going to be legal for their trainees to go into another state, for their residents to go into another state,
1: How the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade could change the practice of medicine for generations to come. But first, cities across the nation are declaring homelessness a state of emergency, looking for ways to move the unhoused out of tent cities.
3: You can't actually arrest or fine homelessness out of existence.
1: What are the best solutions for helping unsheltered people living in our public spaces?
4: I'm Soledad O'Brien, welcome to Matter of Fact. Homelessness is on the rise. Any given night, between 500 and 600,000 people are without homes. An estimated one-third of unhoused people sleep on the streets, two-thirds in shelters. Since the early days of the pandemic, we've reported on efforts to combat homelessness, exploring the tiny house villages in Seattle, originally created to prevent the spread of COVID. And we've spoken with the volunteer group, Street Moms in Wheeling, West Virginia, about how they're providing basic necessities to those who are living in encampments, especially those who are struggling with opioid addiction most recently we talked to people along skid row in los angeles where a new state initiative is looking to move the unhoused mentally ill into shelter and treatment programs Anne oliva is the executive director at the national alliance to end homelessness nice to talk to you Anne. thanks for being with me i want to start if i may with the root causes of
3: homelessness what the research tells us is that homelessness is really an affordable housing problem There are lots of people who are in housing who struggle with substance use disorders or other types of um, challenges in their lives, but because they have housing, they are able to address those issues.
4: Advocates work on many things simultaneously. I personally have covered uh, folks who are working on putting people into tents or some folks who are doing tiny houses. And I guess I'd be curious to know what you have seen works
3: best I guess the first thing that I would say about what works is treating people with some dignity and respect and uh, recognizing their humanity works. Uh, It's why criminalization of homelessness doesn't work. Uh, You can't actually arrest or fine uh, homelessness out of existence. So we've seen uh, the approach that is called housing first work. Uh, and what that means, it's housing plus services. The services are the services that people want and need, not that they are coerced into. The housing is uh, really based on on where a person wants to live and where they're going to be able to thrive in the long run.
4: Often people talk about the chicken and the egg issue, right? Like people who are homeless need housing. It's very hard to have housing if you don't have a job or even to take advantage of services, right? If you don't actually have an
3: address, if you're completely transient. I used to do sort of walkabouts uh, on skid row on a regular basis. And I was walking about one morning at around six in the morning. And I'll tell you that I saw people coming out of their tent, packing up their tent, putting it on their back and getting on the bus to go to work. So I think that there's a myth that people who are experiencing homelessness don't work. A lot of them do, but they still can't afford housing and maybe don't have access to the behavioral health or health resources that they really want and need to be able to thrive.
4: Final question for you. As you look at all the data and as you look at programs that work and those programs that are are clearly not working,
3: are you hopeful? I've been doing this work for nearly 30 years, and this might be the toughest Environment that we've had both, sort of, from a housing perspective and from a political perspective. However, what makes me hopeful is the people on the ground who are doing this work and the people who are experiencing homelessness that I get to talk to every single day um, are doing the work, thinking outside of the box, collaborating in new ways, coming up with new ideas so that we can eventually end homelessness. Uh, in this country.
4: Ann Oliva is the CEO of the National Alliance to End Homelessness. Thank you for talking with me, Ann.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
4: Next
1: on Matter of Fact, medical students with hopes of becoming OBGYNs
2: hit a roadblock, the repeal of Roe versus Wade. I think many people don't understand the overlap and the confusion that this law has caused
1: now a scramble to get the education they need. I think we're over a thousand applications this
5: year for those six spots.
1: How a post row America could affect future doctors. And coming up, it's a lifeline to those struggling with a mental health crisis, but
6: most people
1: haven't heard of it.
6: 988 is something that somebody doesn't have to really program into their phone, they just know it.
1: The efforts to spread the word about a phone number that can save lives. And later... Enter the Build a President workshop. Americans give their take on their ideal commander-in-chief. You're watching Matter of Fact, America's number one nationally syndicated public affairs news magazine.
4: A post-Roe America means more than just limiting access to abortion services. The repeal of Roe v. Wade is also a roadblock for medical schools who are trying to train future OBGYNs. Med students are required to learn abortion-related procedures in their residency programs. But the procedure is now banned or heavily restricted in nearly half of the nation. Last month, we talked to med students in Wisconsin with very different views on abortion and the training they need. Now, students in states banning abortion must look outside the state to complete their education. Our correspondent, Dan Lieberman, heads to Illinois, where medical schools are scrambling to accommodate the influx of students who are desperate to enroll.
7: So you have six spots for residents here.
5: I think we're over a thousand applications this year for those six
7: spots. I mean, that's just staggering. I know. At Rush University Medical School in Chicago, Dr. Sadia Haider's OBGYN residency program is feeling the pressure from out of state applicants seeking training refuge in a state where abortion is still legal. Is it harder than ever to turn an applicant away knowing that they may not be able to get this training anywhere else?
5: It feels tough to make those decisions. Other programs reach out to us and say, you know, we have residents that need training. Can you take them? There are only a certain number we can work with or train, but we do feel very compelled to support the next generation of, of providers to get this training.
2: When just over half of the country has training spots available, and the other half needs their residents to train in those spots, you're not going to have enough availability.
7: Across the state line in Wisconsin, where abortion is now effectively banned, Dr. Laura Jacques is trying to figure out options for her students at the University of Wisconsin-Madison.
2: It's incredibly complicated for the schools and the administrations to figure out whether or not it's going to be allowed, whether it's going to be legal for their trainees to go into another state. We're going to have to pour resources into figuring out how to create training programs.
7: We know that maternal mortality is higher in states where abortions are banned. How do you see the environment post-Dobbs impacting these disparities.
2: I already see patients who come in for obstetric care from sometimes as far as two or two and a half hours away. And that's driving in the snow when you're pregnant to come get obstetric care. There is a number of rural counties who don't have obstetric providers anywhere nearby. That's not going to get any better with Dobbs.
7: One in five counties in Wisconsin qualifies as a maternity care desert. Meaning they have limited or no access to obstetric services. Dr. Jacques argues restricting abortion training threatens the health of mothers facing high risk pregnancies and those whose pregnancy ends in miscarriage.
2: Our law allows. Only for abortion to save the life of the pregnant person. And then we sat down and we said, well, this condition gives somebody a 40% chance of dying during pregnancy. Is that not enough because it's less than half? Or this condition, the person has a 20% chance of, of dying of mortality. Is that too much? Is that too little? And we couldn't stomach then sentencing 20% of people <laughs> to not having life saving care.
7: When you think about solutions, what do you think a solution could be?
5: The solution at the highest level is really to have a federal protection of Roe. That really is the ultimate solution for both the public and policymakers to be really aware of the implications of these restrictions.
7: For pro-life doctors, for mm-hmm. pro-life residents in states where abortion is banned mm-hmm. who say there's other ways, mm-hmm. there's other means uh, to, to deal with these emergencies other than abortion what do you say to them?
5: What I say is that there are times where there's um, a need for this service or this procedure to save a person's life, potentially, in the settings of infection, bleeding, and if you don't have trained providers, um, that can be a real problem.
7: For Matter of Fact, I'm Dan Lieberman.
1: Coming up, crisis counselors are standing by, ready to help people in what's known
7: as the suicide belt. 988 is really gonna fill a lot of that need that is missing in a lot of our indigenous communities.
1: We head to Montana where efforts are underway to break the silence of suffering alone. And still ahead...
4: If it were up to you, what traits would your ideal presidential candidate have?
1: We break down a survey that shows what Americans really want and what they actually get.
4: It's 911, but for urgent mental health care. 988 is the suicide and crisis lifeline number for the high number of people who are contemplating suicide. Since its launch last summer, numbers show more people are reaching out for help and spending less time on hold, and that's compared to the previous 10 digit lifeline number. And yet, less than half of Americans even know about 988. Last fall, our producer, Teresa Krug, traveled to Montana. It's part of what's called the Suicide Belt, a group of Western states where suicide rates are higher, especially among veterans, white men, and Native Americans. She spoke with the people who take these difficult calls every single day. In Cascade,
8: Montana, people gather for one of the last rodeos of the season Here we go. to showcase local talent and honor the large number of veterans in the state.
0: Lord, tonight we come to you, we ask a special blessing on all of our military. I'm proud. I wish I could still be serving, but physically I can't.
8: Helena resident Ken McLean is a veteran suffering from PTSD who's come close to suicide more than once. He says isolation and Montana's cowboy up culture have played a big role.
0: We're supposed to be these elite warriors. We're still human beings. We still have moral injuries. We still have moral values. Taking another life or watching that happen that, that's not normal. We're supposed to be strong, reaching out, saying something's wrong and I need help wasn't in the cards. It was drink more beer, drink more booze, cover it up, shut up.
8: After finally seeking help, Ken says that things started to improve. He now hosts barbecues around the country to raise funds for veterans' mental health and encourages them to speak up.
0: Because you believe that with you not there, your family and friends will be better off and your pain will be gone, but it's not true. Their pain will intensify dramatically because they've lost somebody they've loved. When we look inwardly, we're really looking to heal.
8: Terrence LaFromboy, a member of the Blackfoot Confederacy Nation, understands Ken's struggle. He's part of the statewide team that rolled out the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline earlier this year.
7: We had to create that cowboy up mentality to, to survive. That then had ripple effects over time. That creates some of the mental health crises we're seeing today. I get really emotional because mental health is affecting our Indigenous communities. We're losing too many people
6: at a at a higher rate than I've ever had in my lifetime. Voices of Hope. Is it scary when it's a suicide call? Yeah. So you're constantly trying to think one step ahead of the, the next.
8: Jackie Giddens is the director of Voices of Hope in Great Falls, one of the three 988 crisis centers in the state.
6: When you're a big state like Montana is, and it's not unusual for somebody to have to drive 60 miles one way to get to a counselor or psychiatrist.
8: Jackie says she considered suicide after her divorce and knows firsthand just how vital lifelines like these are.
6: I wish I would have had something like this to call and vent to. It would have been not easy, but it would have made it easier for me to know that things that I was feeling were fairly normal.
8: That experience led her to Voices of Hope, where she took calls in the beginning, and now makes sure there's enough people trained to respond to callers from more than 30 counties, including those where Terrence and Ken live.
0: So I'm not, you know, 100% square, but I'm doing pretty good, and I'm I'm making progress on myself every day.
8: The staff on the 988 lines say that while the person making the call may be in pain, they still need time to accept help. Help that's just a first step. You're a big advocate for mental health services. You are also the person who's answering the phone when people are really struggling.
7: So at one point, you know, Cowboy and Up served us to be strong, to come from a territory that was vast and rough, to survive. We should no longer create spaces to toughen up.
8: For Matter of Fact, in Montana, I'm Teresa Krug.
1: Ahead on Matter of Fact, build your own president, what Americans say about the candidates they want versus reality. And later, an anonymous artist is revamping potholes into intricate mosaic designs. To stay up-to-date with Matter of Fact, sign up for our newsletter at MatterOfFact.tv.
4: If it were up to you, what traits would your ideal presidential candidate have? Enter the Build a President workshop. A recent USA Today Suffolk University poll surveyed 1,000 registered voters to construct their perfect candidate. The best age, between 51 and 65 years old. To put that in perspective, President Biden is 80 years old. Former President Trump is 76. I thought it was kind of interesting that 55% of people polled say they don't have a gender preference, but those who do want a male president. A president's hometown doesn't really matter for most, but the highest regional preference was for the Midwest. As far as political party goes, 17% of Democrats, 13% of Republicans, and most independents say they would support a candidate that's not affiliated with either party. Political experience is a plus, but it kind of depends. Democrats want. Senate. Senators, while Republicans prefer governors. One-third of Republicans polled want somebody who's never held a political office. The majority of Republicans want someone who served in the military. Democrats say they were divided. 31 percent want military service, 37 percent don't, and 31 percent say doesn't matter. But the biggest partisan divide in the poll is how the person would lead the country. Democrats say they want a president who will cut a deal, the majority of Republicans say they want a president who stands on principle, even if that means that problems don't get solved. Interesting poll.
1: Still ahead on Matter of Fact, from drab to fab, a French artist is transforming potholes into
4: works of art. Finally. Everybody has a calling, I guess. And this guy is known as the pavement surgeon. His pothole repair work can be seen in several European cities. He's a French artist named M.M. who fills sidewalk cavities with mosaics, forming intricate geometric designs. And he's been busy. His fans have made maps pinpointing some of his handiwork, nearly 400 and counting. Aside from creating beautiful public spaces, M.M.'s art is also functional, repairing potentially dangerous sidewalk potholes. MM considers pothole filling his life's mission he started back in 2013. And because it may not be technically legal, he zips around cities on his moped, doing the work anonymously. You can see MM's work in France, Norway, Ireland, Scotland, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And hopefully the U.S. is on his list, because we got a lot of potholes. That's it for this edition of Matter of Fact. I'm Soledad O'Brien. I'll see you back here next week.
1: Listen to Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien on your favorite podcast provider. Watch us during the week on FYI and YouTube.